So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, I want to begin by talking just a moment about candles. We we think about candles as something that we use to uh, mark the beginning of something. We use candles when children have birthday parties, right? We, We use candles when there's a wedding and we're marking the beginning of a new family. But candles also can mark the end of something, right? Eventually, candles burn out. Uh, The fuel is exhausted. Uh, They can't be unburned. You can't pull back together the heat and the light and the soot and reconstitute the candle. Eventually, the light goes out. And so it is also true of our lives. We have a birth date and we have an appointment with death, right? We have a beginning and we have an end. And the moments in between are precious moments that seem to go faster and faster and faster. And so today, the happy focus of this morning's message is just that. Our lives are short. The light will be extinguished. The lives will come to an end. The earthly lives will come to an end. What must we do? And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I, from that passage, want to preach a message titled, Come Before Winter. So this is a a message I like to preach about this time every year. And this is a custom that many pastors share. In fact, it began in 1915 with Clarence McCartney. Uh, a pastor in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who preached a message, come before winter, from this passage, and a revival broke out in the city of Philadelphia. 1915, long time ago. Uh, But he was so impressed with what the Lord did that he chose to preach that exact same message every year, 40 years in a row. And the impact it had just grew and grew and grew. And they say today that Philadelphia is a different city because... The McCartney was faithful to preach the truths right here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, when McCartney died, then W.A. Criswell, right here in Texas, pastor of First Baptist Dallas, Texas, decided that he would preach the message. And he preached almost verbatim the exact message that McCartney preached. And then he did that for a number of years. And since then, this has become sort of the tradition of many pastors. I've not done this every year of my ministry, but but many years I have, the tradition of many pastors to preach a message, uh, their own message sort of, but based heavily on what McCartney has done and what Chris Will has done and others. And so I want to do that today. So look with me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 6. Paul, the writer of 2 Timothy says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith and there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. Paul is writing his funeral, really. He's looking back over his life. He knows that he is about to lose his life. He is in prison in Rome, uh, probably about the year of 64 AD. Uh, Nero 
had accused the Christians of burning the city of Rome in the year 64. And Paul was in prison and Paul was the most known Christian of the day. Uh, we know that about three years later, Nero uh, committed suicide or assisted suicide. And Nero was responsible for beheading the apostle Paul. So somewhere between 64 and 67 AD, Paul was in prison in Rome and he knew that his days were numbered, that life was about to come to an end. And so he makes these remarks about the quality of his life, the quality of his, of his ministry. And, and really the gist of it is this. I have given my all to serving the Lord. He says, I've, it's like I've been poured out as a drink offering, and now I have lived well, and I come to the end, and I'm ready to meet my Savior face to face. In fact, he said in the book of Philippians, when he looked back on his life, he said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He said, for me to live is all about Christ, and I'm, I'm thankful I've invested my life in the things of God. And for me to die, if now is the time, for me to die is gain. Now, with that in mind, knowing that every time the door opened, it could be the executioner's coming. Every time he had a meal, it could be the last meal he ever ate. Every time the sun would set, it might be the last time he saw the sun set. With all of that in mind, Let's look at verse 9 because he has one last request. Just before he dies, one last request, notice what it says. Make every effort to come to me soon. So he's writing this to Timothy, his son in the faith, pastor of a church. Uh, Make every effort to come to me soon because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. So when you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls and especially uh, the, the parchments. Now, now, let's notice two or three things he asks for here. He says, Timothy, I want you to come to me and come to me quickly. And bring some things when you come. And and it's noteworthy the things he asks Timothy to bring. First of all, he says to bring Mark. Now, that's interesting because Mark is a person uh, that that Paul just didn't jive with. And if you read back in in the book of Acts, you see that there was a great conflict, a a conflict within the church, a a ministry conflict between Paul and Mark. And and Paul uh, refused to let Mark go on a mission trip with him, a, a, a mission journey with him, because he didn't feel that Mark was faithful and he didn't feel like Mark was doing all the things that Uh, that he should be doing. And so there was this conflict between Paul and Mark, but here we come to the end of Paul's life. And what do we discover? While we don't know all of the details, we see here clearly that, that Paul has made things right with Mark. He, he, he has, he has fixed the broken relationship because now one of the last things he asks for as his life comes to an, to an end is bring Mark. Mark is useful to me. I, I care for Mark. And so that tells us, I think, something about the character of the Apostle Paul. He, he also asks for his cloak. He's cold. It's gotten chilly, I, I suppose, in Rome. Uh, I, I mentioned that because I want to read to you what Clarence McCartney said about the cloak, just to give you uh, a little bit of the flavor of the sermon he preached. 
Uh, he was a great communicator. And so here's what he said about the cloak, the robe. He says, it has been wet with the brine of the Mediterranean, white with the snows of Galatia, yellow with the dust of the Ignatian way, and crimson with the blood of his wounds for the sake of Christ. It is now cold at Rome and summer is waning and Paul wants his robe to keep warm. So he asks for Mark, he asks for the cloak, he even asks for his books. Now I'm impressed with this, that even though Paul is at, at the very end of his life, he still has, a, has some curiosity, still wants to learn and grow in his understanding of, of God's word. So he says, bring, bring my books. Now let's skip down to verse 21, the next to the last verse. Now you should know, if you've not already figured this out, that this is the last letter that we have of the Apostle Paul. This is right, just one of the last things that he does just before he's executed. And he reemphasizes what he had said in verse nine. He says, make every effort to come before winter. There's the message title, come before winter. Now, why, why would he say that? Why would he tell Timothy, you need to come and you need to come before winter? Well, it was because Paul understood three things that we need to understand. First of all, he understood the brevity of life. Uh, he had already written his obituary back in verses seven and eight and nine, and he knew that his life was coming to an end, and he knew that if, if Timothy didn't come soon, that when Timothy arrived, Paul would already be executed, that Paul would already be dead. He knew that his life was short. There weren't many more months. There might not be many more days. If, if Timothy was gonna come, Timothy needed to come immediately because of the brevity of life. Now that's a lesson we need to learn as well. Now we may not be sitting in a jail cell in Rome waiting our execution, but we know we should know life is brief, right? No matter how many years you may have to live, life is brief. Uh, the Bible says it's like a vapor that passes. And, and maybe you're young here today and life doesn't seem brief, but just hang on for a little while. Because the older you get, the faster it goes, right? People used to tell me that when I was young and I thought they're crazy. I thought when people get old, they lose their hair and they lie a lot. How, how in the world could life go faster? But it does. I remember when I was a child, about this time of year, waiting for Christmas, it seemed like it was an eternity. Do you remember that? Day after day after day, my mom put this little calendar on the refrigerator that counted down the days to Christmas. And that was like torture for me and my sisters because it was this constant reminder that Christmas will never get here. But now as an old man, I mean, there's Thanksgiving, you take a deep breath and it's Christmas, right? It's just bang, bang, bang. Life goes faster and faster and faster. And these stages, they, they'll catch you by surprise. I mean, there's the stage of life where we believe in Santa Claus, right? And then there's the stage in life where we become old St. Nick. And then there's the stage in life where we look like Santa Claus, right? So you figure out which stage you're in. Life goes faster and faster and faster. We need to understand life is, life is brief. We need to know what the Apostle Paul knew. Our days are numbered. Now, I shared this with you last year, and it really uh, encouraged a lot of people, so I thought I would share this with you again. I did some math, and I compared 
a 78-year lifespan to an 18-hour day. Now, I hope you live many more years than 78, and many of you already have. Uh, but they tell us uh, that the average lifespan in America, 78 years. By the way, that has gone down the last three years, which uh, hasn't done in many, many years. But 78 years, average lifespan. Uh, so if we compare that to an 18-hour day, you wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and, well, midnight represents death. What time is it in your life? Won't that encourage you? Let me tell you. If you're 25 years old, it's 11.46 in the morning. If you're 45 years old, it's 4.23 in the afternoon. If you're 55, it's 6.42 p.m. Supper's over. If you're 65, it's 9 o'clock at night. If you're 75, it's 11.18 p.m. So happy holidays. That's my gift to you. I didn't want to stop there, so I did some more math, and I compared a 78-year lifespan to a 365-day calendar. So in case you weren't encouraged before, listen to this. If you're 30 years old, it's May 20th. Death comes on December 31st. It's May 20th. If you're 40 years old, July the 6th. If you're 50 years old, August the 22nd. If you're 60, it's October the 8th. If you're 70, November the 24th. Listen, that will discourage anybody. But the lesson to be learned is the lesson that Paul knew. Life is brief. And we don't need to live like we're going to live forever because life is brief. Now, another thing that Paul knew, not only the brevity of life, but the brevity of opportunity. Now, Paul and Timothy at this point were about 1,200 miles apart from Rome to, uh, to, uh, to, to where Timothy was. Uh, they're in Ephesus. And so the only way to travel from one to the other, only reasonable way, uh, was to travel uh, by boat, by ship. But winter in the Mediterranean is the hurricane season, the storm season. And so in those days, they didn't have the sophisticated weather equipment that we have today to see those storms way off. And so uh, from their perspective, a storm could just pop up just almost overnight. And some of these were very dangerous storms, and they would wreck those ships. Paul was once on one of those ships that wrecked in the Mediterranean because of a storm. He knew very well the danger of those storms. And so he tells Timothy, you need to come before winter because not only is life brief, Paul knew he was going to die, but opportunity is brief. Paul knew that if Timothy didn't come before the storm season, he wouldn't be able to come. That he had a very narrow window of opportunity to respond to the request that Paul was making. Now, we need to know and learn that life is brief, but we also need to know and learn that opportunities are brief. That, that God gives us a chance at times to do something, to change something, to, to fix a relationship, to start a ministry, to have an impact. And sometimes that opportunity to do all of those things is brief. We think that we can wait a year or we can wait five years or ten years, but oftentimes the opportunity will be gone in 
those days. We have to understand that not only is life brief, but even if we live many, many, many more years, the opportunities we have to be obedient to God and the ways that God has called us, the opportunities are brief. And then the the third thing I want you to see here is just the disposition of the hearts. And and this isn't specifically something that that Paul understood and and explained here, but it's something that we should understand that when, when God sets a fire in our hearts, when God convicts us to do something, when we have a heart to be obedient in some area, that if we're not urgent about that, then then the fire will, will fade. I think of what Jesus said in Mark chapter four, verse four, when he was, was speaking through a parable and he, and, and he talked about some of the seed, which represents the word of God, falls upon the wayside, falls upon the path, and it doesn't germinate, it doesn't go down into the ground. And so the birds, which he later says represents uh, Satan, will come and, and remove that. And it's a picture of of how when we are challenged by the Holy Spirit to do something, that if we don't do it quickly, that the passion, the commitment, the the desire to do that uh, will go away. I can't tell you how many times I've seen someone about this close to a life-changing decision, but they gave it another day, they gave it another season, and all desire to do that faded. Uh, It it may be that God has moved heaven and earth so that you could make a decision about something today. And if you don't make it today, then your heart may be cooled and you may never make that decision. So what are some areas that we need to come before winter? Uh, Two years ago, I, I had three that I felt like the Lord wanted me to emphasize. Last year, I had five. I was ambitious Uh, This year I just have two, so you'll be relieved. But two areas I believe the Lord would have us today to come before winter, to recognize the brevity of life, the, the brevity of opportunity, and the disposition of our hearts, two areas we need to come before winter. Number one, relationships. For too many of us, we look to our past and we see the debris of broken relationships scattered out through our lives. And listen, church, that should never be true uh, of a Christian. Have you ever gone out into the country, and, and I've seen this here in, uh, in rural Texas, you're driving down uh, a rural road, and there's, there's a house with several cars in the front yard that look like they have not been moved in 10 years. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe some of them are up on blocks and they've got weeds and grass growing around them. You couldn't hardly get to them if you wanted to. They, the, the, the yard is just filled with these broken down cars. Now, when they, when they drove those cars in that front yard, I'm assuming, uh, when they put those cars up on those blocks to do whatever you do to cars up on blocks, they never intended that those cars would still be on those blocks 20 years from now, Right? They had very different intentions, but now the yard is a mess. And I think oftentimes we have relationships like that in our lives. We never intended them to get to the place that they are today. We never intended it to be the mess that it is today. But we look back and we see the the mess, the disaster that some relationships have, have become. I think in the area of relationships, we need to come before winter. Let, let me give you two categories. Number one, broken relationships. 
Now, the Bible says in Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, let that sink in a moment. That's an uncomfortable verse. As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. I remember, I don't know, 10 years ago, I had gone to a, a visitation, funeral visitation. Um, a gentleman in my, in my church, his father had died. And uh, so I went to visit uh, this gentleman and, and uh, just try to be an encouragement to him and to his family. And so there we were the night before the funeral in the funeral home. And there were a good number of people there. And I was visiting with this uh, church member, and I knew from the obituary that he had an extended family, and I didn't know those people. So I said to my friend, uh, would you introduce me to your brother? I've never met your brother. Lives right here in town. I've never met him, and I would like for you to introduce uh, me to him. I thought maybe I could be an encouragement somehow to this, uh, to this brother. And, and he said, Pastor, no, I can't. And I said, well, sure you can. He's just right over there. And I pointed to him. You can see there was one group of people huddled around over here. And there's another group of people huddled around over there. And, and I knew he was there. I said, yes, you can. He's just right over there. He said, no, pastor, you don't understand. I haven't spoken to my brother in over 30 years. There's no way I can introduce you to my brother. And I, um, I was particularly close to this man so I could speak honestly to him, even, even at a time like this with the loss of his father, I, I said, you, you know, Wade, that's, that, that's, that's not a Christian attitude. You, you know, you, you can't do that. You, you have got to speak to your brother. And, and it was, it was the hardest thing I think he had done in, in, in many, many years. And, and I, I shared with him the verse, as much as it depends upon you, you, you've got to make peace. And he said, well, you don't know what my brother has done. Uh, to me. You don't know what he said. And I said, well, you know, I don't. And I, I don't really need to know what he said. But I, I know that, that you love and follow the Lord. You, it's on you to go and, and talk to your brother. And he did. Uh, before the funeral, in fact, he did. And, and God restored the relationship. And I know sometimes there are abusive situations. And sometimes uh, it's uh, very important that we do what's necessary to protect someone from harm. Absolutely. But apart from those specific kinds of situations, we need to be those who champion Romans 12, 18. As much as it depends upon us, we should live at peace with everyone. And we should recognize the opportunities we have to do this are, are, are brief. Life is brief. We must, we must do this. We must let Jesus be our model. Sometimes people will say, well, I can't go to them. It's, it's up to them to come to me because... Uh, I, I, they are the ones who've done wrong. They're the ones who said something they shouldn't have said. They're the ones who messed up the family. They're the ones that did whatever happened 20 years ago. Well, maybe that's true. I, I, I've learned just in life that some of the things I am sure are true in those kind of situations turn out not to be as true as I thought they were. But, but let's say you're 100% right. How did Jesus respond to us? Jesus didn't wait for me to make things right. Jesus reached out to me. Jesus came and, and was incarnated and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for me. Jesus reached out to me while I was still a sinner. He loved me. And we ought to have the attitude of Christ. And we must fix our broken relationships. More depends upon this than we know. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. 
He says, so if you're offering your gift on the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Jesus was saying that if, if there's a broken relationship as a Christian, until we've done as much as depends upon us, we, it, it hinders our worship. It, it hinders our praise. It hinders when we read our Bible and when we sing our songs and when we respond to messages. We think that those are separate things, but Jesus says, no, they're connected. And we need to mend the broken relationships. But it's not just broken relationships, it's, it's neglected relationships. I think some of the greatest pain in life comes not from the things that we do, but the things that we fail to do and the words that we, that we fail to say. I heard a story just this week about a pastor who was making some big changes in his life, some priority changes that he needed to make. And he said this, uh, and this is verbatim, uh, I've been running around killing myself trying to please people who probably wouldn't even attend my funeral if I got sick and died. But I have neglected my wife who would care for me and empty my bedpan without complaint until my last day. You know, we get so busy with our careers and we get so busy with other people and social media just overcomes us and we neglect the relationships that are closest to us. As I prayed through this message and this scripture passage this, this week, come before winter, I, I, I feel like as your pastor that the first area of coming before winter that I need to point out and urge all of us is, is in the area of relationships, both the broken relationships around us and, and the neglected relationships closest to us. Let us come before winter in the area of, of broken relationships. But there's one other thing. We need to come before winter, not only in the area of relationships, but also in, in the area of resolutions, things that we have committed ourselves or should commit ourselves to do. do you, you know what I think is the most convicting verse in all of the Bible, especially for those people who come to church every week, who seek to live a godly life? What is the most convicting verse? I think it's James 4.17. Listen to this. It is sin to know the good and yet not do it. You heard that verse before? It's brief. I know you have. It's easy to remember. It is a sin if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it. You know, the Bible teaches that there are three kinds of sin, basically. There's the sin of, of commission, uh, to use the theological word. That means you do something you shouldn't do. Uh, there's the sin of influence. That means you influence somebody to sin. The Bible says we bear responsibility then. But then there's also the sin of omission. When we know what we should do, we just don't do it. Now, our modern word for that today is the word procrastination. We procrastinate. And as Christians who hear God's word taught every week and have done so for years, who, who read our Bibles, who go to Sunday school classes, who, who, who are exposed to the word of God, who hear from the Holy Spirit, when we know the things that we should do and we fail to do them, that's procrastination and that's sin. The Bible speaks of this throughout its pages. I thought just of the things that Jesus said. John 4.35, don't say they're four months and 
and, and then comes the harvest. Listen, I'm telling you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They're, they're ready for harvest. Jesus says, don't procrastinate serving me. 9-4, John 9-4, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no man can work. He says, don't procrastinate. We, we looked at the parable of the seed falling on the path a moment ago and how Jesus is saying, after respond to my word while there is still time, we must not procrastinate. And so we learn this lesson from this passage. We must come before winter in the areas of things that we know that God has commanded us to do. Listen to how uh, McCartney said this. He wondered aloud in his message whether Timothy really went. Uh, Wouldn't you like to know? The Bible never tells us if Timothy made it to Paul before winter or not. And so McCartney says this, suppose that Timothy, when he received the letter from Paul asking him to come before winter, said to himself, yes, I shall start for Rome, but first I must clear up some matters here at Ephesus. And then I need to go down to Miletus uh, to ordain some elders. And then I've got to go over to Colossae to celebrate communion. And when he has attended to these matters, he then starts for Troas and inquires when he can get a ship which will carry him across to Macedonia and thence to Italy and and once there sailing to Greece into the Mediterranean. And and he is told that the season for navigation is over and that no vessels will sail till springtime. So no ships till uh, for Italy until April. And, and, and all through the anxious winter, we can imagine Timothy reproaching himself that he did not go at once when he received Paul's letter and wondering how it fares with the apostle. And when the first vessels sail in the springtime, Timothy is a passenger. And I can see him landing in Neapolis or, 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 or hurrying up to Rome. And there he seeks out Paul's prison only to be uh, cursed and repulsed by the guard. And then he goes to the house of Claudia uh, or, uh, or Mary and ask where he can find Paul. And I can hear them say, and are you Timothy? Don't you know that Paul was beheaded last January? Every time the jailer put the key in the door of his cell, Paul thought of you and he thought you were coming. He asked if we had seen you every day. He wanted to see you so badly, but today you are too late. God calls us to do some things. And when God calls us to do something, it's because he would have us to do it now. You know, the worst invention that man has ever made, I say tongue in cheek, but one of the worst inventions man has ever made is the snooze button. Do you have one at your house? I, um, I'm, a, I'm a morning person now, I, not by choice, I think by biology. I would give $100 to sleep to nine o'clock one day. Uh, but, um, but I remember when I was younger, uh, the, the snooze button was the bane of my day and I would set my clock and I would, uh, hear it go off in the morning. And sometimes without ever even remembering that I did it, I would press the snooze and press the snooze and press the snooze and press the snooze until I was late for my, uh, appointment in the morning. The snooze button, uh, was, uh, was a terrible invention in my life for, for about 10 years or so. But the problem is not, the biggest problem is not that we're late to a meeting or that we have to hurry to work in the morning. Uh, The biggest problem is that we often hit the snooze button when the Holy Spirit challenges us, convicts us, and pushes us to do something. 
We need to come before winter in the area of broken relationships, but we need to come before winter just in the area of the resolutions that God would have us to do. I'll mention too, just briefly, salvation. Uh, many people come to church week in and week out and week in and week out, and they, they have a heart and a desire for the Lord, but they've, they've never actually surrendered and said, I trust Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. I'm telling you, now's the time. Come before winter in the area of salvation. Come before winter in the area of baptism. Uh, you heard the testimony just this last week in our worship service. Uh, Lorraine saying that she had wrestled with this for a while. And, and, and I know that many, many people in our church have wrestled with this for a while. Won't you come before winter in the area of, of baptism? You know, I just want to close with one, one more reference. Uh, it was interesting. It's interesting to read the story of Joshua in the book of Joshua and Exodus and, and, and Joshua uh, so you come to, come to Joshua, the book of Joshua, and he has been the leader for many years. And he has led the people of Israel into their promised land. And, and they, they rejoiced and they were thankful to God and they worshiped God for, for how good he had been to them. But at the same time, they held on to their old Egyptian idols. And so they worshiped the one true living God and they worshiped their false gods. And they had idols uh, to their false god in their homes and, and the, as a part of their rituals and they would pray to these gods. And so Joshua comes toward the end of his life. And, and, and like Paul, he, he must have been uh, sort of reminiscent of, of, of all the days that he had experienced and, and, he, and he wanted to say something at the end. And so he, he gathers together the, the people who, who loved God, but who also had this, these idols in their lives. And listen to what he said to these half committed, half obedient, half faithful believers. Joshua 24 verse 14, he says, therefore fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of, that your fathers worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. And then he said this, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which way you will worship. The gods that your fathers worshiped beyond the Euphrates River, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Here's the challenge. We're here today, most of us, because we, we love and honor the Lord. You'd be somewhere else if that weren't true. But I think for many of us, there are areas that we must come before winter. And whether it's a relationship that needs to be addressed as much as it depends upon us, or it's a commitment that we need to make, there comes a time when we have to respond to the Holy Spirit that says, come now, because life is brief and opportunities are narrow. Let us come before winter. Head bowed, eyes closed. Let me pray. Father, help us to understand the urgency of life. Every day you've given us is a gift, a precious gift, and we want to redeem the time. So help us not to postpone, not to linger. Help us not to procrastinate or delay, but help us today in whatever area your Holy Spirit is, is pointing to and shining the, such a bright light on in our lives in that area. Help us today to come before winter. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.